This is Jimmy Corain, and you're listening to another episode of Improv Nerd, and we're sponsored by Huge Summer Intensive. Now, you're all invited to the Huge Summer Intensive in Minneapolis. This year's theme is your voice, finding it, using it, playing with it. Your choice of August 12th through the 14th or August 26th through the 28th. Study with the international improviser Jill Bernard and renowned voice coach Keely Walter. The first weekend features Brave New Workshop alum Jim Detmar. The second weekend features Chicago legend Michael Gelman. Learn more at hugetheater.com. We're also sponsored by the 8th Annual Improv Festival Oklahoma, which will be held from September 29th to October 2nd in Oklahoma City. The single venue festival will feature performances and workshops with special guests John Barinholtz and Rob Belushi. I taught and performed at Improv Festival Oklahoma a couple years ago, and I can tell you without a doubt they have a great improv community happening in Oklahoma City. The submission deadline is July 31st, and for more information, visit ImprovOklahoma.com. All right, we got another great episode of Improv Nerd for you today. I always feel like I want to try something new at the top here when we come back from the sponsors, but I don't have anything today. Uh, but I do have a great guest, and our guest today is Kelsey Huck. She's a Chicago-based comedian. She studied the I.O. Chicago and Second City. Now, she's not only one of Chicago's hottest comedians right now. She teaches this very popular uh, stand-up comedian class called Femcom, which is a stand-up class geared towards women. We talked to this incredibly joyous comedian at the Chicago Women's Funny Festival at Stage 773 here in Chicago about how she uses improvisation in her stand-up, the difference from storytelling and stand-up, and how she's been able to transform the pain in her life into comedy. Before we get to the episode, and speaking of storytelling, uh, the other night I went out and I did a storytelling night. And I hadn't done a storytelling night in a long time, and I really like this storytelling night. And the last two times that I've told a story at the storytelling night, it's, it's gone really, really well. So I wanted to write about what was going on in my life right now, which is, of course, me becoming a father, us having a baby, and all the feelings around that. So, uh, you know, Lauren's always a, a huge help. Because I'm, I'm, I don't want to say I have ADD. I'm just really not a focused person. And when I'm not focused, I just, I'm pretty lazy and I just sit around on the couch hoping some idea will come in my brain. But so I asked Lauren and she said, why don't you talk about um, us as a couple not really excited about having a baby? Which, in retrospect, probably wasn't the best thing to do for a storytelling night that's called Louder Than a Mom. The audience is moms, primarily moms out, you know, like they get a babysitter or they have their husbands watch their kids and they come out for a really fun night of storytelling. Uh, except, you know, I ruined it for them because, you know, I talked about, uh, and I think I've shared it on the podcast, how Lauren and I were not excited about having a baby and uh, all the feelings. It, actually, I said, we're not excited. We're actually pissed off because all you people told us it was going to be, a, you know, it was going to be so much fun having a baby. Well, at this point, the process sucks. And then I talk about this. We went to go see this couple, Carrie and Josh, who just had a baby and how 
when we went to visit them in the hospital, it was just this joyous thing, and they were it was like they were on ecstasy, and we were and Lauren and I said to each other like this is the best, you know, we can do this. This is great. We can have a kid. This is no problem. And then a week later, we went over to their house, and it was like. They were zombies because they weren't getting any sleep. And we both we both left going, oh, my God, what the fuck did we do? So I share that story. Um, it wasn't really one of my best pieces, but I put a lot of work into it. And I rehearsed it. I brought it to group therapy, and I did it for group therapy. I did it for Lauren. And Lauren has um, Mallory, uh, someone who works for her, so I did it for them. And I put all this work into it, and it, and it didn't turn out the way I want it to, to be. I, and then the performance was awful. I rushed it. I panicked. Uh, I, you know, it was, just, it was, it was bad. I bombed. The, the point of the story is I bombed. And, I, and of course, I feel so much shame. I feel like they're never going to ask me back. And I'm a complete failure. Um, and the thing that really gets me is like all, I put so much work into it and I didn't get the results I wanted. And sometimes that happens, and it sucks, and I don't like that. But that this is not the arts is not there. It's not it's not a science. It's not math. It's, there's no formula to the arts, especially when you're doing live performances. So I just I need to accept that. But man, it's been like five days since that, and I still feel shame about. It. I just I don't want to respond on Facebook. I just want to hide out. Is basically what I want to do. So. I just wanted to, sh- I, I don't know why I wanted to share that, but I thought I should share that. Maybe you can relate to it. I don't know. Anyways, uh, you're going to love this episode. Kelsey Huff is filled with so much joy and so much passion. And she's so funny. And this is a live show, and she's such a good sport. We improvise together. So uh, you're going to love this. Here it is, the Kelsey Huff episode. Enjoy. Hi, Kelsey. Thank you so much for doing this. Thanks for asking me. Oh, my God. How do you, like, you have such a positive energy about you. But when I researched, you, you know, your your show, your material with your one-person shows mm-hmm. and your stand you come from kind of a dark background. Sure. Well, it's all phony. Okay. <laughs> just keep smiling, Great. right? No What's underneath that? Oh, just, I mean, just... Oh, darkness and goo. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, I feel like one of those things that you have to do, uh, you're from the Midwest, you're not expected to talk about your real feelings. <laughs> Nobody cares, right? Um, so you shove it down, and then you write a one-person show about it and charge people money to, uh, to watch your feelings. How hard was your childhood? I mean, in a comparison, it's not like Richard Pryor childhood. Right, We're right. talking about that. It's just regular Irish drunk dad childhood. But you're, so everyone knows. But your dad died of alcoholism, he right? He sure did. He was committed. Yeah. We're committed to dying from Committed al- to drinking until he died. Mm-hmm. That was kind of his goal. And how have you been able to use that in your comedy? That it's, kind of pain. Yeah, yeah. Well, I feel it's, um, I think it's relatable, right? Even if someone's like, well, my, my dad did not take that path or my parent didn't take that path. Everybody has got some, some stuff going on, right? So yes. I think it's, yeah. And I feel like humor is the, is the human coping mechanism, right? So I use it. I used that childhood. That's why I'm here today. I'm very grateful for that drunk, dry childhood. Yeah. Well, how uh, about your childhood? Don't you think I'm not going to ask about you? Oh, uh, well, mine was, you know, my dad went to jail for mm-hmm. white-collar crime. Mm-hmm. We grew up in a very wealthy suburb. And I was the kid that they, I was ignored as a kid. So I got into comedy to be noticed. Sure. So let's give, let's give a high five for uh, B. 
being messed up. You're yes. not gonna high five me? No, I'm not gonna high five you. What a jerk. Okay, yeah. cool. I, I don't know I'm walking out. I'm yeah. done. Yeah. <laughs> Did you feel like I rejected you because I didn't give you a high five? Uh nah. It takes okay. way more than that for me to feel things. Um, also, you were in a in, in a you you loved Eddie Murphy. Oh man, I loved him. Loved him as a kid, right? I would sneak and I'd watch Delirious over and over and over and over and over and over and over. Uh, I loved it. I loved that he was talking about his family. I loved that he do character stuff. I used to retell his jokes at recess, all the bad words, everything. And um, and one of the gals at recess, because I was saying bad words, she called me a slut. And I thought slut meant hilarious for years. <laughs> like I had no idea. What was it about Eddie Murphy that you connected? I liked his energy, right? Like I felt like I was sucked in by him sort of, I don't know, just exploding on that stage. Loved the leather pants, not gonna lie. Um, uh, it did something for the little kid in me. That's weird, right? Um, but also, I really liked the family stuff. I really liked that he was able to take getting like beaten as a child or, or smacked around, let's say, and made it funny. I really, really liked that. In retrospect, watching it later, didn't love the homophobia so much, but I, I you know. I was so it, did that break. plant the seed of like, I want to be a stand-up? I think it planted the seed of like, I want to be a performer. I, I didn't know what the heck I wanted to do, but I loved making folks laugh, which I think when you grow up in a house like that, you're making people laugh anyway, right? I mean, you know, there's tension. So I was always the gal that would like make a fart noise, you know, classic. Was your dad kind of like one of those angry drunks and then you would diffuse with humor? Absolutely, yeah, yeah, yeah. And it would turn like on a dime, right? So you kind of always, you always had to be on your toes. Best free training ever. Everybody's spending money on Second City. How have you been there. able to, you know, to laugh about it? Like for me, I've gone through therapy. I mean, oh, I've gone. Oh, sure, 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 sure. How have you been able to, to turn, to, to, to be able to laugh about it? Sure, I feel like a lot of deflection early on. I also am one of those alcoholics. I won't give you a high five because I know right. you're not into it. But uh, it was odd, and like I feel like that distance. You know, I drank a lot, I blacked out a lot. That helped until it didn't, right? Um, and I, I just think time. Also therapy, a, a ton of therapy. Because I don't think, you know, because I've done stuff, I did a one-person show about my dad going to jail. Mm -hmm. and, and, and looking back, it was too soon. So ah. I, I think you, you need to process whatever it is to, 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 to turn it into comedy. Yeah, I think that there's a, there's a point where you, like, want to see whoever's on stage, like, connect to the material and feel it, but you don't want to see them, like, have a nervous breakdown. Right. You know what I mean? Like, you're like, oh, they're not... They're not doing well right, right. now. Or in so my case, well, working through the anger on stage. Yeah, you know, It wasn't yeah. even good material. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> you were just raging up. I was just raging up. Yeah. So at 18, you go to Columbia College. I do, yeah. And, and you do stand-up. I tried it. You, you tried it once. Yeah. What happened? Oh, it was real bad. Oh, man. So I went, and I went with a couple people from Columbia at the time. One, people were uh, real drunk, people there, right? right. Uh, puking backstage, just the worst. My friends stole my jokes uh, before I went on stage, uh, so I had no material. They're just a bunch of dirtbags, you know? And I was like, oh, I'm never, I'm never, I, I really want to do this, but this is not, this is not for me. And it took me a while to, to come back, and now I love those dirtbags. They're the same, <laughs> you know what I mean? They're still idiots. Uh, those dirtbags are your friends. Yeah, 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 mm -hmm. turn the tables. They didn't change, I did. Yeah. Um, and then you go enroll in Columbia. You take this solo performance class, which changes things. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Loved it. So Stephanie Shaw, she's a gal around town, neo futurist, right? And I love this idea of really bringing your personal stuff 
uh, to the writing and making it funny and turning it on a dime and making it really heartfelt and vulnerable. I loved that. And that's where I started originating the, the first solo show that I did in that class. It was great. And what was it about that class that, 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 that you could find your voice? Yeah, I feel like there was a safety net. You know what I mean? Like you couldn't, you couldn't fail. There was nothing you could do that was wrong. It was just, it was just you. That's it. That was all. And, and there was no judgments. It was, like, it was like trust falls and hugs everywhere. And within that, you found this humor in these dark places that you kind of, at least I felt that I wasn't allowed to talk about. You know, because I'm from a family, you just don't talk about that kind of right. stuff. Right, I understand. I come from yeah. the same family. Secrets. Secrets. When you started, and I still struggle with this, when you started to talk about your family, about mm-hmm. those secrets, what kind of feelings came up for you? It was like a relief, I have to be honest. Um, was there any fear of like, oh, what happens if they hear I, me talking about that? Yeah, well, a lot of them died. Okay. <laughs> so I'm like, you can't hear anything, suckers. So, so, if um, you, so if you want to talk about your family, just make sure they're just dead. Just make sure they're dead. Yeah, yeah, that's my advice for everyone. Right. Make sure your family's dead before you talk about them. Um, but there was this relief, and then there's this humor thing. I just loved it. Even in like interpersonal conversations we were having at parties, when the, you know, like people are like, how did, you, how did you afford Columbia? I'm like, dead dad money. You know, everybody in the room would go like, but I was like, yeah, zinged him. You know, there was, I don't know, there was a freedom in that. And I didn't feel as bitter, as confused, as anger when I could uh, just speak out loud and make it, make it funny. Did any of your siblings or people come to your show and give oh, you shit? Oh, yeah, of course, yeah. So I have a one, one sister, younger sister, and I did a tour out in, uh, out in the West, so I was in Boulder, and she's a chef. She happened to be there at that time, and she, like, leaned in, and she was like, I'm just going to tell everyone you're a liar. See how that makes your show go. Just because she was being a rascal. You know what I mean? And, uh, but I feel like she's in the show. My mom was in the show. I, the first thing I did, I, sh- I showed them the script. I thought that would be kind of respectful. And they were, they were into it. You know? I think they were cool. That's great. Unless we, they just shoved it down. Like, right. Yeah. <laughs> right. Because that's not been my experience with my family. So, so how did you react to that? I mean, were you like, oh. just, just a, I just felt a lot of shame and like I had done something wrong. So just more fodder for the therapist, really. Yes. My therapist loves the shame. (laughs) Um, So then, so, so, okay, so you're calling, you do this solo performance class. It blows your mind. Blows my mind. And then how do you end up taking improv? Um, Well, I did that thing after Columbia. So at that time, there wasn't the Columbia Second City kind of marriage mergey thing that's going on right uh, now. Right, the comedy studies. The comedy studies, you got it. But I kind of just did that before it happened, right? You made your own comedy studies. I made my own comedy studies. So I originally went for radio. That's why I went to Columbia, because I thought it was going to be just like Good Morning Vietnam. It was not. Uh, turns out I wanted to do improv. So I started like you, you know exploring there. That's so what the same time I was doing the Stephanie Shaw solo stuff, I was doing improv and I just wanted to keep going. So I so I went to the conservatory, Second City, did some IO stuff and I just I loved it. What did you love about improv? You know, I I loved I, I think it's like I just am a gal who loves that energy. That sort of thing that makes people panic, that like I don't know what's gonna happen. Oh no no no. I just feed off of that, that chaos. Which I'm sure also has something to do with my childhood. Hey, yeah, oh, yeah. this is a therapy session in itself. I'm not going to cry. Nice try. I, I've heard about you, and I've listened to your podcast. What, what have you heard? You're trying to be the Oprah of the improv world. I, I, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> I know. I, if, I'm if like, I you're could, not going to make me cry. If, <laughs> if, I could, if I could get to that level, I'd be totally happy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but there yeah. was some sadness coming up. What was that yeah, about? Yeah. What was that about? Some sadness you mean in the when you were when you were talking about what you were just talking about? I forgot already. I've moved on. No, uh, the sadness. Uh, I, I don't know. There's that. 
I don't, I don't, I never wanted to like have a life, right? Like, like my dad's life where it was chaos taking over his life. But I do kind of like that, that, uh, turning of chaos on stage in a controlled area, you know, where the lights are on, you don't know what's going to happen. You could heckle me. You could boo me. You could say something. I like that. That feels comfortable to mm -hmm. me, but I don't want that in my real life. So how chaotic was your house? Cause my house was like, everybody was always over. My oh. parents didn't know what was going on. Gotcha. The lights were, you know, like it's school, you know, it didn't matter if it was a school night or not. People were over, they were watching TV down in our family room. Mm -hmm. What kind of chaos? Yeah, yeah, so we much more like blue collar, right? right. Our, our family, I mean, my dad, uh, he worked in a factory, so we had a bunch of like factory dudes come over after work and like drink. He, you know, Steve Miller band was like the theme of our, our house, you know what I mean? Pretty chaos, pretty violent, right? A lot of violence going on. I mean, him fighting, him fighting the dudes, him fighting my mom, him fighting us. I mean, if you got in his way, it, watch out, you know what I mean? Um, so yeah, you never know what was gonna, what was gonna happen kind of a deal. Yeah, yeah, so it was pretty chaotic. I remember too, like, even in my general family, I mean, we're, you know, we're blue collar people. The police would come to our weddings, you know? We have like, we have like, no joke, we had like our own little cell for a while in the little town of Richmond. You know what I mean? Like, that was, we were just known, just real trashy, is what I'm trying to say. We rocked it, we rocked it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so then you start doing storytelling. I do, yeah, so I kind of shift from improv and a sketch. So I did a two-lady sketch show. We did some colleges. But I really was still had that had that neo-future. Like, I really wanted to see if I could do a, a solo show. So um, how do you make the transition from storytelling to stand-up? Because they're, they're similar. They're mm -hmm. cousins, but they're different. Yeah, and I... To be honest with you, I didn't think I needed to make a transition because I was a real idiot, right? So I was taking my like 15-minute stories about like my dad beating up the neighbors into these bars, and I'm like, they're gonna think I'm hilarious. Oh, they did not, right? So I crashed and burned. So I started taking. Uh, I actually took the class that I teach now. I took femcom with Cameron Esposito to like learn that art, to learn like how do you make a story? How do you take this one emotion, this one point of view, in 10 seconds, quickly, quickly, quickly? To, to go into that pace and that expectation of stand-up, and I loved it. So what is the difference? How, how, do, you, how do you take a story that you use for mm -hmm. a storytelling show and make it into a stand-up So what I like to do, right, is I find the core emotion, right? Because I feel stand-up is all about vulnerability and all about how I feel about the world, right? Same kind of deal as storytelling. So I start with that emotion. And then I actually, my process I still write stories, even for stand-up. I'm still writing 15-minute stories. I go to a longer open mics or I do them in my home, and I find the punchline. I kill everything else. So I have that emotional core. And so I keep give, the give us an example of finding. Some, give us an example from something you mm -hmm. do, and 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 pinpointing that emotion sure. and how you break it down. So for example, right, and uh, the, there's a show I do called Bruiser, right, and there's a whole story about how I go to uh, I go to Jesus camp. And me and my, my gay friend at the time, he didn't know he was gay, uh, we, we do this extravagant dance number. And in the long storytelling element of it, the kids in the camp um, trash our, our costumes at the end. We don't win the competition, right? Um, and they write fags and their hags go to hell all over. So there's this moment of like feeling like an outsider, not fitting in. But by the end of the story, I do, I do a revenge and I get, I, I get my power back, right? So feeling like an outsider, learning hate, and getting, and getting your power back. Those are the three beats, right? What's the emotion into it? The emotion? I, I feel like, uh, that's a great question. I just ruined my own uh, philosophy. Um, <laughs> 
I, I feel uh, I feel like betrayal, right? right? I feel like betrayal. So in the stand-up version of it, all I do is feel betrayal, feel like an outsider in like a two-minute dance. That's it. That's all I do. So all I do is I pick an action, I pick an emotion, and I just hit it hard. And so I also feel like stand-up, as opposed to storytelling, is like a snapshot, like a picture, like film. Anything that doesn't fit into that snapshot has to go. Any exposition Jones, it has to it has to happen right there in that moment. So I don't know if I answered so, your question or not. So a 15-minute, so if you were doing this for, say, The Moth, mm-hmm. it would be a 15-minute piece. Right. If you were doing the same story for stand-up, how many minutes would it be? Two, three tops. Okay. Yeah, that's my goal. And so here's the other thing that I tell a lot of the Femcom students is, like, you can do storytelling. Maybe, you know, take that 15-minute story, make it two to three minutes. Now you have more gigs to perform at. You know what I mean? Um, no, so I don't mean. How, how do you mean you have more gigs to perform at? So you can do the moth, right? right. You have a 15-minute story you can do at the moth. You could do at, at any of these live lit places. You know what I mean? And there's so many storytelling shows that are going on in Chicago. You can work out those 15 minutes there on that story and perform there. You can have that same story, that same point of view, cut it down to two to three minutes, take it to Zany's, take it to Laugh Factory. So you're expanding your exposure to audience. So you're working the storytelling circuit, yep. you're working the stand-up circuit. Yeah, yeah, um, work it all. So, Get paid zero dollars right, for all that right, work. Right, right. <laughs> so nine years ago, you start this all-female stand-up night uh, at the Laugh Factory here in Chicago called The Kate. Yeah. And it's all-inclusive, it's a supportive environment, why was it important for you to start that nine years ago? Yeah, so nine years ago we started at, uh, we are at the Laugh Factory now, but nine years ago we were at a bookstore, right? And the reason we started it was just me and a couple of gals. No one would hire us, you know? We could not get a job. So uh, we're like, well, we have all this material. We want to start working it out. And we did the show at this place called Kate the Great's Book Emporium, and it, it, that's where we got our name. Place closed down. It's hard for an indie bookstore out there. Place closed down. We took the name. We went to another coffee shop, Mercury Cafe. We closed that place down too. Um, and then now we're at the bookseller, okay? So we started because we couldn't get a job. Suddenly all these audience, the audience responded to being all female. And then I had all of these people going, I want to be a part of the show. I have this material. I'm also not getting hired for these things, but I want to work this stuff out. And it's just grown tremendously. And now we're at a point where I have like 430 women on the, it's insane, this booking lineup. And because it's Chicago, we have all these people who are doing improv and sketch who want to put like another comedy tool in their tool belt so they want to try stand-up I get those ladies in there too now how have you seen women in comedy progress in the in the, in the nine years you've been doing this and where would you like to see them go yeah I feel like it, it, it it's all about the numbers game that's what I feel like um when I was starting and just trying to get into stand-up not a lot of ladies at the open mics right I mean maybe one maybe two so the class and and the Kate's the goal is just increase the numbers on stage but also producers and that's I think the 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 huge thing that I've seen change there are so many women behind the scenes in comedy where the real power is if you call you know booking a bar show power right um that they're the ones booking, they're the ones marketing, they're the ones learning the business skills that they can take anywhere, right? So I think that's probably the biggest shift. Women are not only creating uh, their own their own stories and their their own bits, but they're also creating their own shows and and producing. How what I would love to see, and I have no idea how to do this. So if anybody has an idea, I would love for for people not have to move. You know what I mean? I would out love, of Chicago. Out of Chicago, I would love for there to be some sort of industry. I don't know how how that happens, right? So that you could stay here, you could create your voice, your bits, your your comedy specials here, 
and not have to leave. But that seems very difficult. What do you love about teaching this femcom class? Oh, man. I Okay, so here's the deal. I love... Some of these women have never performed a day in their lives, right? Never, 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 never. So I love watching people come in and be terrified, right? Can't they have no voice? They have nothing. They, you know, they're very, they're very, very meek. They're like a corporate, some yeah, of yeah, corporate, yeah. a mother of two. Exactly. People that, that have no, exp no experience, experience in whatsoever. Comedy. Yeah. yeah, or even improvisers, right? Who are like, I can do, I can improvise every night of the week. You put me alone on a stage, I'm going to crap my pants, right? Even those folks. To see them open up like that. And I think what's so great about Femcom is there's this environment where you cannot fail. There is, you know what I mean? It's like failing is part of the game, right? Like you're failing, you're scheduling your failures, right? So you're, you're getting used to bombing and there's this power in there. So my favorite part is watching women who are so nervous that they feel like they're going to crap their pants to get to the end where it's like a tight five-minute set, and they rock it. They rock it. Their own material, their own vice. It's edited in a way that they are just crushing it. And afterwards, you can see that they're like, I could, I could do anything in the world. I'm getting all excited just talking. I'm sweating. Um, but yeah, I feel like seeing someone shift like that is amazing. And some of these women never do stand-up after this, right? But I've seen them out in the world, right? Like I see, I've seen this one lady at a rally once and get up and tell her story. And she's like, I could have never said, I could have never told the story if I didn't take this class. Failure is so important to comedy. It's so important to mm -hmm. improv. It's so important to life. Yeah. How do you teach failure? I feel, and maybe I'm wrong. I don't know. I just feel like it's a muscle you have to flex, right? I feel like it's repetition, and you have to be okay, uh, which is very difficult, shutting down that part of your brain uh, that's like, don't kick me out of the tribe. I don't want to be out of the tribe. I need to, the tribe to stay alive. you got to shove it down. I pretend I'm Chad on a yacht. You know what I mean? I'm just a rich white guy. Uh, and if you're a rich white guy, nothing's, nothing's bad. Can you explain you. this? Can you explain this? You know what this? I mean, Beard? Can you explain this? This Chad, I'm a white guy on the yacht? Yeah, well, I feel like. Uh, is it a persona you take on? It's a persona, yeah, it's so probably So when not do you healthy. use it? So, Ever, no. I'm using it now, man. Right, I'm right. using it now. <laughs> I feel like anytime I feel like I don't. I don't belong, or, or, or I'm an outsider, right? Uh, I used to work in the world of finance, right? A lot of brosifs up in there. A lot of what? Um, uh, brosifs, bros, dudes, okay, okay. you know, chats. Right, right. right. Um, so I'd walk in, I'm like, how's your weekend? Am I right? Oh, you know, like you just put on this bravado, um, and suddenly uh, you feel like you belong. You feel like I can take up space. Of course I belong here. And then, you know, chat goes away a little bit, and yourself comes out. It's probably not the healthiest thing to do, right? Um, but I feel it's like you convince yourself you belong because you do. Uh, and that allows you to, who, who cares if I fail? Who cares if I fail? I, I, I got a yacht. I got a million bucks. Uh, I don't care. You can think whatever you want about me. I love that attitude. All right. We're going to improvise now. Oh, great. All right? I won't be Chad, I promise. Okay. Uh, that's all right. <laughs> so. Um, this is, can I tell you right now? Yes. This is a little terrifying to me because I great. haven't improvised in so long. I'm so glad that you're, uh, you know, such a good sport about it. Oh, yeah. You know? <laughs> So we'll what scares you about it? I just think it's a muscle I haven't flexed in a while. I mean, I do a lot of, like, on-camera auditions, which they're like, just be yourself, you know? Mm -hmm. um, and then they tell me never to be myself again. <laughs> I always, I, you know what, I, that was always the hardest thing. When they, you'd come in and they would say, just be yourself. Uh-huh. I, because I don't know who myself is. What? Yes. You're a sexy, strong, confident man. Thank you. I'm not Chad on the yacht yet. <laughs> uh, that was, because I'm serious. When uh -huh. they say to you, just be yourself, what does that mean to you? I 
feel like I, I have a lot of a. I've got a lot of fire in me, right? Mm. High energy. I'm just kind of very social positivity. Anxiety, yes. Very positive, right? Uh, very friendly. Very. Oh, I want to be your friend. Kind yeah, of person. yeah, yeah, yeah. Very like, warm. And uh, translated on stage, it looks like I'm a murderer. Right. <laughs> or like on the thing, everyone's like, "Why is she freaking out?" Right, you know. Right. So a lot of times they're like, "Take it down. Not so much. Don't be you. Be subtler. Maybe go away." <laughs> you know. But I mean, you just. I just keep showing up. I, I mean. I just keep showing up, and eventually you get jobs. Like, I'm not going to leave here. I'm going to be here until midnight. Yeah, it's very hard. I mean, how, how do you do it? How do you do it when people are like, be yourself? I totally shut down. You do? Yeah, and then I, I, the hard part for me is showing up again. It's like an audition goes bad, then I go into the shame spiral. It could last anywhere from 12 hours to two weeks. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, I have, you know, get over it but yeah it, it's hard sometimes and it, it, it then it's like I'm a bad person I'm a bad person I got to get out of the business yeah 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 yeah. oh no no so I here's the thing about rejection for me and I feel like I also I have that snap in my brain where I give myself if I like I I almost got this gig it's gonna be amazing it's gonna change my life what was I, it I'm know? allowed well it's it's not it's mostly like commercial gigs like, like a commercial but like a national yeah. commercial yeah like that's gonna save my life Come well, it's it, you know. You know what I mean. You, uh, what figures do you have in your head? Oh man, I just want a lake house. Okay. Yeah. So fifty thousand, a hundred thousand. I'm thinking like a good three hundred fifty. Okay, great. All yeah, right. yeah. Right. Anyone? Um, <laughs> but I allow myself one day, one day of mourning. Now I'm very fortunate. I I don't I have a chemical in my brain that snaps me out of that. I know that a lot of people don't. You know, yes. I'm not like I'm not insensitive to that. I'm not like a total dick. But like I, I one day of mourning. Where do you think you develop that? Because if if, I, if anyone could give me a gift, that would be the gift that I yeah. would. Yeah. One day, 24 hours, 24 and then hours. just get back at yeah, it. Yeah. I think what happened is I get bored with being sad. I just get bored, and I'm like, I gotta do something else. I can't sit in it. There's only like so many nachos and Doritos I can consume. And that's how you deal with your sadness. Oh, are you kidding me? I'm from the Midwest. Just cheese, cream all day long. Eat it, eat it, eat it, eat it. I can't stop. Look, I'm, I'm having fun now. Do you cry? Because I do not cry. I, I have a harder time crying. I do. I do okay. cry. What I, makes you cry? Um, besides my questions. Besides, yeah. I yeah. mean, definitely you. Right. <laughs> Number right. one. I'm like, right. just keep it together. Right. Um, you know, what makes me cry? Oh, this is so embarrassing to admit out loud. Like Friday Night Lights, like dad stuff. You know what I mean? Like just a bunch of bros. Like trying to like keep it together for their other bros. I don't know why. Coach Taylor makes me ball. And that's embarrassing for me. You know what I mean? Because you know, I don't like... I mean, I shouldn't say I don't like bros. It's, that's generalization. You're probably great. Look at all these hats, right? Um... <laughs> But there's something about like dad stuff, of course. And I'm not stupid. Like, like Father's Day is coming up. I also share a, my birthday with Father's Day, that son of a bitch. Um, uh, Father's Day sometimes makes me weird. Dad stuff. I mean. We're on the same page. Yeah. Sports movies. You know, the end of the scene. Especially the underdog. Oh, you, you know, kidding underdog? me? A little and, Rudy? Are you yeah. shut your face? Yep. And I love the scene where the, you know, the, the, the time, slow clap? The slow clap. We'll do it all the time. Oh, my God. And yeah. dad stuff does it, too. Because I look stuff. at it and I say to myself, I wish I had, you know. Yeah, a, you're mourning the thing you never yes, had. Yes, exactly. Yeah, 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 yeah. Exactly. Oh, man. Maybe we're related. Who I'm knows? sure we are. Yeah. You know? <laughs> oh, all right. So we're going to. What am I doing with my foot? I don't know. I, it looked like you were going to eat it. <laughs> I, I, like, know, like, I ah. don't cry. I just right. contort right. myself. Right. That's that hurt me. All right, lowers. so we're gonna improvise. We're gonna make it really quick. Okay, great. Very fun. Very, very uh, painless. Okay. 
Um, so what would you like to start? How do you like the how do you like to start when you improvise back 10 years ago or yeah. five years ago or three, three years ago? When was the last time you improvised? Oh my gosh. I think the last time I improvised, which was amazing. I used to do recess, which is for a children's memorial hospital. And we, we improvised for, for children. And it was, I, I know that we are short on time. We've got to do this thing. And this is my resistance because I don't want to improvise. Um, <laughs> but this gal in the audience, in the audience, this, this little child uh, happened to be blind. Right. And we're like, for a suggestion for our next game, somebody shot out a color. And she in the, in the audience goes, are you kidding me? <laughs> it was amazing, it was amazing. And then, and then I was like, well, why don't you come up and play with us? And, she, and I took her arm and she's like, you clearly have never helped a blind person before. <laughs> My best improv experience, that's the last time I ever improvised. Why was it the best improvised? It was the best because I don't know, like, sometimes I feel like when I was improvising a thousand years ago, and I'm not trying to bash, because imp- I don't like when stand-ups and improvisers don't get along. I think that's crap. I'm not trying to bash it. But a lot of times, I feel like it's just like you're doing it for your friends in the basement. You know? There, there is that criticism yeah. that improv shows, it's primarily improvisers that right. are the audience. Which I don't know why stand-ups get so, like, panties in a wad about that. Because open mics are just stand-ups in the audience. It's the same thing. How can we bring the improviser and the stand-up together? Yeah, we're both broken people. I don't know why we're not. <laughs> right. yeah. I don't know why we're not together all the time. But I feel like there's this idea that like my art form is the pure, pure art form, and like well my art form is filled with pain. You're like no, we're all idiots. We're all, no one's making money, and no one cares about us. So I don't know why we can't come together. And I gotta say these classes because you. You took the stand-up class. Yeah, as I loved well. it. I loved yeah. it. Yeah, and with I, Ricky, with, Ricky yeah, Gonzalez. Exactly. So it's under Tight Five. It's like this this nonprofit organization that's trying to reach out, especially in this town where everyone's trying to learn and get all the things together. There is no reason why we shouldn't come together. I do think it's difficult to have shows together. Like I've been on a lot of shows where you see a stand-up and then the improvisers like do that thing. Sometimes they're great, but I do think it's unfair to have someone who has honed their material so meticulously and got every word how they want it, and then you're. It feels like the improvisers, it feels like a disservice. And it's kind of a mindfuck to the audience. Exactly, exactly, because they see this one thing, they have an expectation, and then they're like, well, these guys didn't do their homework, but that is not the thing, you know? So how can we be friends? I don't know. I feel like we're friends now. Yes. We, you weren't going to touch my hand. You're going you're gonna to touch my hand by All the right. time this is over. All right. Okay. So how did I like to start it? I yeah. don't know, with a declarative? I don't know. Don't ask a question. What are the rules? You start it. Okay, so we're going to get a suggestion. Okay. All oh, right, there's that. I okay. forgot about that. <laughs> what is going to make you super comfortable? I don't, yeah, I don't care. Come on, okay. let's do it. Okay, I, great. I've improvised in front of cameras where people told me that I was the wrong size and that my voice was stupid. So nothing's going to, you guys aren't going to hurt me. What was that about? You guys aren't going to hurt me. What was that? Oh, that was just a commercial gig. We talked, you know, commercial gigs, they're the craziest. Yes. Yeah. They're not really good for your self-esteem sometimes. Yeah, they're not. All right. But it's a good test. Okay, great. So we're going to, uh, uh, so Sam will call it or we'll call it. We'll, we'll do, we'll, um, so could we get a suggestion? Pizza. Pizza. Yeah. So you hear pizza. What, what, what's going on in your mind? What do I think? Yeah. I think? I think eat my feelings. Okay. Yeah. Okay. What do you think? I think, um, well, I always draw blank, right? That's sure. the first thing I go to is blank. <laughs> Thank you for your honesty, because I did too, and I just didn't want to seem like an asshole. No, no, no. I just go to a total blank. Uh-huh. And then pizza, I would think Italian. So I would probably be somebody Italian. Gotcha. All right? Okay. Okay? 
Thank you for and telling right, me what's going on in your brain. Yes, Why don't we well, do this in real improv? I, 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 don't, I don't know. Pizza. What does pizza mean to you? Yes. Pretend they're not there. So you're an Italian. I'm an Italian I'm, guy, yes. Yeah. Uh, yes, oh, okay. right. That's pretty sweet Italian you got. Oh, thank you. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Gloria. I look at this. Oh, this is glorious, huh? Mirroring. Mirroring, right? 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 Yes. Um, uh, well, what do you mean, this is mirroring? The mirroring. I, I ask uh, you on a date, and you say mirroring. I know, I know. I, I, I feel like that is something I learned on the Tinder, huh? Like you, you try to be the oh, thing. Oh, you tried to. You weren't making fun of me, because I was going no, to leave. No, 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 no. You're beautiful. You're beautiful. Oh, beautiful. oh thank you. Beautiful, yeah. Yes. And I love a sausage. Uh, Yes, the, I pizza, ordered, the sausage pizza. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, I, I ordered it to you uh, because um, I, I look into your eyes and I see um, beautiful sausages. <laughs> yes. I think there is a, what they call, um, what the, how do you say, backwards compliment. Oh, no, no, I did not mean it that way. No, no, no. Either no. From where I come from in the Calabria, there are, all the women have sausage. All the pretty women, the prettiest women, they have sausages in their eyes. And <gasps> Yes. How many pretty women with sausage eyes do you know? No, no. Oh, you're not at pizza. You. I oh, I burnt my hand <laughs> uh, on the pizza. Uh, no, uh, yeah, maybe six, seven, but not uh, since I've come here into America. It is just you that I love. You you say you love me. Yes. <laughs> this is. Uh... This is date number one. I know, I know, oh. I know, but I knew right from your profile that mm -hmm. you were the one for me. Oh. I don't, uh, what is so funny? No, I, it's, uh, I love your, um, how you say, forwardness and saucy hands. Uh, oh my God, <laughs> oh my God, you're kidding me. Because in my country, that means I, I, you do. You accept my proposal. You just accepted my proposal in my country, Calabria. Yeah. Uh, will we go? Will, will we go? Yes, we will go. Yes, I want you to meet my family. They're actually outside in the car. Uh, this, this is, this is very, they're very fast. Yeah, very well, fast. We're very fast people, you know, yeah, yeah. because my father, he died when I was six. And so we don't waste any time. Mm -hmm. uh, there is a motto we have, you know, in my family, mm -hmm. you know. Uh, do it before dad dies. Do it before dad dies. I... I, uh, I I don't ha I no longer have a father. I I have oh, waited. I'm sorry. I have waited I'm so sorry. long. He uh, he is he is buried and we do. Yes. Yeah, yeah. That, that is good luck, you yeah. know. Yes. Yeah, they, or sometimes or, it's go to hell. Yeah. You know, yeah. Oh, he is there. He is there. Oh, For, good. Very sure. He, yeah. 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 I, I, I don't have a family of my own. Oh, that's good. You can sausage. have my my family. I, this this is uh, one of one of the best dates I've ever been on. Oh, yes. Yes. <laughs> yes. 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 Yeah. Oh. Should Should we eat the the pizza or should we just go? No, we should eat the pizza. It is right. It's yes. Right. Yeah. It's very nice. Scene. Great job. You didn't. I was. So, I wanted what? to touch your. Oh, I did. Oh, America. We nailed that shit. I'm going to tell you, can I just say something? I've of never course. said this before. So I'm going to uh, go listen to all your podcasts just go, to make sure please, you're not lying. Please, please. Uh, how, how many episodes did you listen to? to best selling I listened to like four times. Okay. And that's it. How terrible am you I? You heard the best selling four times over? I listen to it a lot. Okay. Sometimes I go into podcast mode and I just listen to it over and over. But why would you listen over and over again? I do that. Am I weird? Don't you guys do that with podcasts? I like no. to listen to over and over and over and over. All right, so when I... I feel like you're judging when me. I, no, I'm, I'm not judging you. I, okay. there, yeah, I'm a judgmental person, but when I'm on stage, <laughs> it goes away for 45 minutes. Right. Most of the Backstage, time. Backstage, you're like, Most what of, an yeah, asshole. Yeah, yeah, and then off stage. But uh, really, I'm very judgmental. When I started to date my wife, I had no... I was terrible with women. Terrible. So I read these... Uh, uh, 
what are the uh, pickup artist books? Okay. 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 And one of the things about the pickup artist is if a woman puts her hand up, mm-hmm. all right, to do a high five, don't do it. <laughs> and so it's it's ingrained why? in me. What kind Be- of fucked up shit is that? Because I'll tell you why. In the pickup artist, it's it's the guy going um, like um, losing what? his power. Right. What was, what was that? I squirted my power out. Right. Of you. Okay. Because here's the thing: like, I don't understand. Like, because you, I don't understand. I understand that people, you know, gender right. things. There's things. Yes. Everybody's got their things, right? Yeah. Like, yeah. Da, 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 da. but if you just treat a woman like a human, things are gonna be all right. You know what I mean? Right. Like another, like another, right? Like another human goes like, hey, maybe you just don't like to high five. Maybe you don't like germs. That's totally cool. But if you're like, she has a vagina. If I touch her hand, I lose my power. That shit's <laughs> fucked up, right? I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> I honestly don't know. I, I don't why, know. So why is it that? And I know, I know that this is not the topic, but I find it so fascinating when people are like a whole like 51% of the population like don't get them, don't understand them. We're just you. Well, with I think like that, some tits. That's it. Yeah. Don't you think? I Most don't. People, like I said, I don't know. You don't know. I don't know. So are you gonna have um? Are you gonna have a, a daughter? We're gonna have a daughter, which I am so grateful because having. Are you gonna high five her? Number one. Are you gonna give your daughter high five? I didn't even think about that. <laughs> I didn't even think about that. All right, let's take some questions. For, uh, let's talk about what we did really quickly, and then oh, yeah, let's sorry, go. Sorry, sorry. Yep. How did you feel about that? I felt great. It was fun. It was playful. It was. It was great. Was it easier? For for me, it's always easier to do a character. You were doing a character, too. How was that? Did it? Yeah, you know, here I went right back into my old ways, uh, which because I wasn't always the most comfortable improviser, right? I'm not great at sharing, I think. That's it. And I just mirror and then find myself. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? And I don't think it takes me a while to find myself. So five minutes, I didn't quite... I'm 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 a slow burn learner. So I'm I'm comfortable in mirroring, which is so crazy because in stand-up, that goes away. So I can be me, you know what I mean? Like I'm, yeah, I'm just not great at sharing a scene. I had a super fun time, but I wish I would have brought more. Already, I'm like, no, I would have. I wish I would have brought more of that table. What would you have brought more to the to the scene? Drawing a blank right now. Okay. But probably more high five. Just kidding, not high fives. Um, I would have given my 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 character, my person, more more of a backstory, more of a point of view. You know, I was just agreeing, agreeing, agreeing because that's the last thing I remember learning. <laughs> just say yes. Um, when did you realize when you were improvising, like, you know what, I, I'm having a hard time sharing, maybe the solo stuff, maybe the stand-up is the, right, is the way for me to Yeah, go. such a great question, because I felt like I was an audience member on stage. I loved watching. Like, I would just sit in that back and be like, oh man, these this, things are happening in this scene. And then I would beat myself up later for not participating. I never do that in stand-up, because there's no one else there. I love that that like you can your failure in stand up is so much more intense than it ever was when i felt like i failed in improv ever but your highs are amazing because it's all you <laughs> you did it you were able to work that room you were able to connect to that person you were able to find a new thing in your bit it's all you and i never felt that power in improv it would be interesting if I went back now with my point of view and, and, and that confidence and whatever that word is that I have now, maybe because I've seen women who take stand-up go back to improv, and I've seen it be, make them be a stronger improviser. It helped me, yeah. I, and I didn't think it would. It, mm-hmm. it really helped me with, yeah. with improv, yeah. going back 
taking a stand-up class and, and doing improv. Yeah. I can't explain why, how it did, but it did. Yeah, I feel like it roots you or something, right? Yeah, I think well, it's different it, for everybody. It, it helps you get you. I think, and we talked about this backstage, you can hide, I, I can hide an improv. I can hide an improv. And there's something about stand-up, you're out there more, and you and you take that energy of like, oh, I'm out there, I can mm-hmm. take up space to improv. So we're going to, yeah. we're going to, uh, we've got people here, they're going yeah, to 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 ask you some questions. All right, All right? cool. Great, so if we could turn, we're going to start with Tom. Hey, Tom. Good, how are you? Uh, my question was, how long does it generally take for a stand-up to uh, find a brand and when do you know you've actually found it? That's a great question, uh, and Tom, how long did it take you to find your brand in, in your voice as a stand-up? Mm-hmm. I feel as like a stand-up, I feel like it's, I always say it's a long con, right? Like a I, long what? A long con. Oh. It's a long. I mean, you got to do it for like forty years, okay. right? Uh, which depresses everyone. And I think it's I think it's different for everybody. Which I hate to say, it's such a general answer, right? But uh, I came from a storytelling background, so I kind of had a little point of view. I think people who just start, right? I say you got to hit the open mic. You got to find your weirdos. You got to write as much as you can. You know, I, I always think you set goals for yourself, like five. I want to do a new five minutes every month or whatever. And if you do that and you're consistent. I gotta say, I would say you're gonna start seeing a shift and start seeing a point of view. I don't know, two years? Is that too long? <laughs> Feel good? Because I always see like so. One of my, my my students come. They if they take level one and level two, I give them a packet after level two of like information, like how you go, how you get booked at Laugh Factory. You gotta go to this open mic. How you get booked at Zanies. Blah 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 blah. All that kind of stuff. And I feel like you have to be in the open mic or doing showcases and really being in front of an audience for a really long chunk of time before you can feel comfortable in your bones, right? And I think two years is, is, is pretty great. How'd I do? That's fine, that's realistic. Or you're like, I wanted to do how, it like a week. How, 40 years, like you said earlier. How yeah, long does it take years, you, man. how long does it take you to get a really good tight five? How many times up in front of an audience yeah. to get a really good tight five? I feel like it's different from everybody, okay. right? I really do, but somebody uh, where I, I find my voice, right? I feel like, I mean, you can always do, you know, like little twists, whatever, it doesn't right. matter. I find that if I can sit down and I'm somebody who does write out bullet points and then I have to get it on my feet. I'm not somebody who types it out anymore. You know what I mean? I don't do like the longhand. I write bullet points. I get it on my feet and I do it in the bathroom or wherever the hell like 15 times. I record it like after 15 times. I record it once. I listen back to it. So this 15 times is just in your bathroom? Just in my bathroom in my house. I'm always like talking like right. talking to myself okay. like a crazy person. Right? And then you, so it's 15 times and then you record times, it. And then I record it. And then what do you do? And then I, it's second draft time. There's like oh this didn't work. I can, I, can, I can listen to it objectively and I can say like oh that needs some more editing. I don't know what I'm doing. This is conversational which is great but it's taking too effing long. Get to it. Get to it. Get to it. And then I do it like 10 more times. Right? Now this can be in your bedroom or you can start taking it out to open mics at this point. Right? Okay. What I do now is because I'm doing I'm doing shows, so I'm teaching. I'm doing shows. I squeeze it into like uh, so you get like a 15 minute set. I squeeze all my new stuff into the middle of a showcase, right? So I'm not hitting open mics. I'm also one of those alcoholics, so I can't be in a bar for 15 hours a night. That's okay. not a great place for me, right. you know. Otherwise, ooh, pants off, right? right. So I gotta um, I squeeze it into shows, and that's and that's how I write that process. Now, there are people who never write anything down ever. They go to open mics and they're only doing it in front of audiences. Only. And that's all they do. They don't do that process. And they're just memorizing they're it just in their me- head? They're, I mean, that voice memo on your cell phone is your best friend as a stand-up comedian. You have to record yourself because sometimes you're performing and you're blacking out. 
You know what I mean? Like you're yeah. just like, oh, I just I don't know what the hell I did for for three minutes. You have to listen. You have to analyze. You're always tweaking, always tweaking, always tweaking. And then for me, as far as that process, my goal always is okay. I'm going to start with five minutes. I'm going to squeeze these five minutes in every show. So by the end of the year, I should have like a good 45, 30 tighter minutes. And then I feel like because stand-up is a con, right, a long con for 40 years, you have to give yourself a celebration to move on. Otherwise, you could do that same material. And I know folks who do this for 30 years. Do the same material for 30 years. Don't tell me they're making a living at it. You hit that road, those road comics, those road dogs, they can make a living hitting those, those clubs, those elk lodges, doing the same material for 30 years. Ah, it's amazing to me. And it's amazing to me. And they do it. And you can see them. And they are, like, still connecting and still relating. It's great. But anyway, I feel like I need to have, like, a celebration at the end. Like, I have to have a comedy album. I have to have a new solo show. I have to be able to, to have a I'm, a real, I'm real big. This is my therapist, right? I'm real big on on like graduations what are those called traditions ceremonies where you're like goodbye thank you for your time material i must create new things now i don't think that's the same as that process as everyone else great another question yes right here dan one of my favorite things i like hearing is how stand-up comedians react to hecklers have you been heckled and how do you how do you deal with hecklers how do yeah, so I'm a pretty positive gal on stage. So Very likable on stage. Yeah, yeah, I love that you say I'm likable. Yeah. This is the greatest. I'm a real dickhead. Um, but, like, uh, I, I get a lot of positive heckling, right? So I'm not super aggressive, um, and I'm not someone who's like, I'm the smartest asshole in this room. So there's not a lot of aggression. But I have people who just want to chat during my set. So most of the time, I'm like, you know, we'll talk after the show, Aunt Cheryl. You know, like, we'll chat later. So... I have the, the thing that I get is a lot of um, a lot of silent uh, body language from from like older dudes in the front row. You know, they're like, "Prove it, biatch." You know, and I just say like, "Why does you, what's wrong? What's what's wrong with you today, sir?" So I think I'm more conversational than aggressive. Having said that, um, I did do a show at Zany's at St. Patrick's Day weekend, and some people got in a fight on my like physical alteration. Uh, during my set, and all I did, and it, my again, my training in an alcoholic family, mwah, I handled that shit beautifully. You know what I mean? Like uh, they were getting escorted out. I just made it a part of my set. I made it very personal to me. That's, and then we that's never it. talked about it again. And then we shoved right, it right down. Get, right. We're like, see you next Christmas. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I shouted right into that microphone. How much of your improv training do you use besides dealing with hecklers? Mm-hmm. I. Uh, I like sometimes, so here's the thing I like to do if I don't love how my set is going, right? If you read the room and you read it wrong, okay? Like, for example, um, I, uh, I went to Indiana. I had a gig in Indiana. I thought they were going to be super conservative. I thought they were, you know, I, I read it wrong. The judgment we all have for typical Indiana yeah, people. Yeah, yeah, and, and shame on me, right? Right. Shame on me. This group of folks were dope AF, you know what I mean? There was what does a, that mean? I'm uh, dope as fuck. They were great, as okay. what I'm trying to say. Okay. Um, um, they you were, hip, you got a podcast, I'm, okay? You I have a off. podcast, but I'm like, the, I'm like the Bernie Sanders of the podcast. Right, right. I'm so out of touch, you know. Bernie Sanders of the hot Snapchat. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> so, uh, so I read the room wrong, right? So I came in with like, I added 45 minutes of like my, my tightest right. uptight material wrong. So on the fly, like I got to, in my head, chuck that whole set list out. 
go to this new material. It's very hard when you don't have that material, when you're new, because then you're, you're in trouble. I, I love audience work, not just heckling, but I love audience work because I feel like it actually helps me build material. That's why I always have that voice memo. So I'll ask what your job is, I'll ask about your life, I'll ask about your relationship, and I can build that in later into maybe future material of my own, future uh, crowd work, all that stuff. My improv training helps me out a lot because I'm somebody, I love watching Marty DeRosa. He's a guy oh, here Marty, in town. I love so Marty. Great. And I, I feel like he, that kind of vibe. His whole show, I went to go see him. His whole show is just improv. Yeah, yeah. And I love that because here's the deal. Those guys as road dogs, you're doing it for 30 years, do the same thing, fine. Uh, God bless you, right? But this is a live performance. If you're going to see something rehearsed like that so tight, just watch Netflix. You know what I mean? Like, I want to be a part of that. You either. want people to come and have an experience. Yes. Otherwise, what's the point? You know what I and mean? And I think that's probably part of your improv training because improv is an experience. It's a new, sh it, it's a sh a new show every night. It's a custom show for that audience at that specific time. Yeah. And I do think stand-up can be like that. I really do. That's the kind of stand-up I like to see. I like to experience that stuff. So you can have your material, but it has to be loose. Do you think that's the influence of improv in Chicago with the stand-ups in Chicago? Yeah, in Chicago. And the stand-ups who are, like, super famous now. <laughs> you know what I mean? That vibe that they're rocking. The, the Pete Holmes, the, the Cameron Esposito, TJ Miller, TJ, yeah. Hannibal Burris. Kamal, I mean, they're all very malleable. You know what I mean? They're all, you see them, you see them at shows out there or whatever, and they will have a set and they'll chuck it. You see them chuck their set. And that isn't, that is, this, this, this new, that is Chicago stand-up to me. So that, so I don't understand why we're not friends. <laughs> we are friends. We're stealing all your stuff. We're, okay, I'm taking it personal. Improv, we, whatever. But you know what I'm trying to say, right? Yes, there I is know like exactly. a rumble, like, oh, who's. Well, but there's also that with the actors, too. Like, oh, yeah, actors yeah. stand up. But those guys are dicks, am I right? Yeah, no, I'm well, just yeah, yeah. JK, JK, JK. No, no, yeah. They're so beautiful, yeah, fuck yeah, them. Right. Great, one more question for Kelsey, right here. What's your name? What's your name? Jillian. Jillian. And I have not performed since I graduated from class. It was amazing. It was the most I've acted and stuff like that. I've done improv. It was the most Absolutely. Jillian asks a great question here, yeah. and I, I totally relate to her question, especially coming from an improv background. She did the, she did it, the five minutes in your class. Mm -hmm. It killed. It did great. Now she's bored with it, right? Right. What do, you do, what do you say to a Jillian? Yeah, so what I would say is there is so much value in practicing those five minutes, so don't chuck them out, right? There's a couple of things. You're new, right? So you do need material. So I don't think hard and fast rules. You're allowed to create more material. You should always have a plethora of material, okay? So continue to write, because that's gonna help you and spark, right? If you haven't written or you haven't performed since class, I would say, just for, for Jillian specifically, tap in to that community, do a writing group, do something free, get you accountable, get you writing, okay? Because that alone in itself, you writing, might fuel you enough where you feel energized that you can actually perform this five minutes while you're generating new material. 
So you're having sort of both balls in the air, right? That was a great picture, balls. Um, uh, For the podcast people, she was holding, she was pretending she had two balls in her, in her hand. Oh, yeah. This is a visual medium, yes, right? Yeah. Visual medium. Yeah. <laughs> um, so that's happening. The other thing is, if you're like, that's not working for me, all right, Huff? Different advice. I, what I do and what, what helps me is two things. Be re, a little acting, reactionary, plus that's your background, right? I, you need to visualize instead of going through the robotic motion of like maybe you're telling a story how you pooped your pants in a marathon or something. You have to smell, taste, touch. No, that's a terrible example. Um, but you know what I mean? You have to put yourself in that mindset. You have to do some of those visual exercises when you're on stage. You smell the grass, the panic comes. Sometimes reliving it helps you out. The other thing is exactly what you mentioned. Put in a new word. Not know, maybe not know the punchline because that's your big thing, but not know, uh, not know what's coming. So, for example, like I, this is the thing that I like to give people. Sometimes they have one joke about their physical or their state or environmental for the day. You do a new joke up top every single time. So, like, oh, something new, I don't know what's going to happen. You give yourself those challenges where you're like, I'm going to make this two-minute set, stretch to four minutes, and really push my silence because silence terrifies me. You give yourself those personal challenges. Or I'm going to do crowd work because I've never done it. So you're actually not changing the set. You're just giving yourself new and interesting challenges that kind of makes it more alive. You're giving yourself something. Something to do because you do have to hone it because, again, like you've only done it one time. And I know that there's people, maybe you do this too, like I did it one time and my one friend came to that show. They're also coming to this show. I got to do a whole new set for this one friend. Fuck your friend. (laughs) You know what I mean? You know what I mean? Like you need, it's about you. It's about getting into your rhythm because I got to tell you, even though you felt amazing and you rocked it, there's so many layers and elements and timing and pacing that you're just, you're not doing. Just but like. I think Jillian has got a legitimate point too. Absolutely. Because let me just say this: yeah, yeah, I, yeah. Did, I did the stand-up class with at, at the Lincoln Lodge. I killed. Then I then I decided I was going to do two open mics, and it was it, there, it, the response couldn't have been opposite of what I'd yeah. gotten. And then you're discouraged. You're like, oh, you know. So what do you tell someone like me? Yeah. Well, don't give up on your dreams, number okay, one. Okay, thank you. <laughs> okay. Uh, and also, like, that class is a great anchor, is a great nest. Keep, watch your video again. Remember. I still haven't gotten it from Mark. Gary. Oh, no. Yeah, Uh-oh. Yeah. Yeah. Uh-oh. Um, I'll contact him. Not please, please, <laughs> yeah. yeah. But you know what I'm saying? Like, hold on to that. Because the world out there is not this nest, is not this anchor. You're going to biff it out there. You're going to fall all the time. Open mics are not super conducive to self-esteem and laughter, right? You have to keep going. My suggestion is to get a core of people so you don't feel alone. A posse. A posse. I like to call it the coven. hey Um, You know what I mean? And you continue to show up with this group of people. So you get three or four of your friends who are doing stand-up and say, hey, let's go hit this open mic. Yep. And then, then afterwards... You work your material. Okay. You talk about... Here's another thing that I say, and I, stand-up's vulnerable, broken people, like we said. Yes. You talk about your feelings as well. Mm-hmm. Because there's a lot of things that happen when you talk about your feelings after an open mic, whether it went well, whether it went great, that actually helps your process in writing and showing up. So you don't stop going for two weeks because you're sad, right? You talk about that process right away to other people who are experiencing it. You don't feel so alone, right? The other thing that I think is to scout open mics. You can go to open mics and not perform. Try to find the ones that you fit in with first. Go to those. Build your self-esteem so you don't want to kill yourself every time you go up on stage. Then go to the hard mics. You know what I mean? Like You don't have to be like, this is the hardest mic in Chicago. 
I'm going to crush it. Build up to that. You right. know what I mean? Give yourself, because the resistance in your head is enormous, in everyone's head. We all think we're worthless. We all think we're, we should be dead, right? So how do you do that? You got to trick yourself. Are you going to do stand-up after this or what? I hope to do stand-up. I hope. Should we pinky promise? Is that you know, giving up I, you your know, power I, or what? I, I would like to work with you individually. Are, do you do that? I do. But I, I've been so busy. busy, but I, you know what? Is that on? Is this yes, real? Yes, on, yeah. This is my promise to you. Okay. <laughs> We're going to figure it out. I know you're going to have a kid, so you're not going to be sleeping a lot. Right. So but maybe I'll really... just come over while there's breastfeeding. Or... That's weird. That was a weird... <laughs> I, I regret. I, as right. soon as it came out, I'm we'll like, I regret. About, we'll talk about this because I'd really like to do yeah. that. Because yeah. I have a lot of respect for you. You sucker. I love it. Okay. <laughs> um, we always ask this question at the end. What would you tell somebody getting into improv slash comedy uh, today? What piece of advice would you give them? I think um, be shed on a yacht, number <laughs> one. Uh, which we all know what that means. What that means. We don't, I feel like believe that you belong here because you do. You have something to say. That's it. End of story. I feel like I wish somebody would have told that to me. When I was 18 and I went to that open mic and I felt like worthless, believe that you belong here. Kelsey Huff, thank you so much for being yeah. our guest thank on you. Improv Nerds. And there you have it, another episode of Improv Nerds in the Camp. Boom, boom, boom. We are just pumping them out like babies, aren't we? Uh, I want to thank my guest, Kelsey Huff. For any information about her upcoming shows and her classes, go to KelseyHuff.com. That's KelseyHuff.com. I want to thank the good people here at Stage 773 and Jill Valentine, who runs this whole Chicago Funny Women's Festival. And, of course, I want to thank my producer, Dan Schiffmacher, and Sam Bowers, who directs the live show of Improv Nerd. Also, if you want more information, if you want to check me out, go to my website, jimmycrane.com, and uh, sign up for the Improv Nerd blog. Uh, Also, if you want information about my award-winning improv classes and workshops, the Art of Slow Comedy, just go to my website, jimmycrane.com. Also, you know we are taking over social media. We've been doing this for years. It's a conspiracy, but it's between us. Like us on Facebook, Improv Nerd. really helps with my low self-esteem. Follow us at Improv underscore Nerd at Twitter. And then go to our YouTube channel, Improv Nerd Podcast. All one word. See clips from our live show. We're also fortunate enough to be part of a podcast collective called FeralAudio.com. Check out all the innovative and hilarious podcasts there are out there. People like Todd Berry, Dan Harmon, Steve Agee. Carmen Esposito, and Jimmy Corain. So I love getting my name in there. Why? It's such a cheap joke, but I do it anyways. I'd like to thank both my sponsors for today's episode, the 8th Annual Improv Festival Oklahoma and the Huge Summer Intensive in Minneapolis. And of course, I want to thank you for listening. And until next time, remember, walk, don't run. Hello, I'm Dave Ross. Hey, and I'm Hampton Young. And we host Suicide Buddies on Starburns Audio. That's right. It's a podcast about suicide, but not to make light of it. We actually talk about suicidal thoughts, depression, kind of with a sense of levity that Dave and I have with each other. He's my best friend. Come on. Yeah, we're buddies. (laughs) Suicide Buddies. That's the title. <laughs> One of our favorite episodes that we've recorded so far is about this guy, Jan Pataki, who was a Polish aristocrat in the 19th century. Mm-hmm. And he, uh, one of the reasons it's possible that he killed himself <laughs> is that he thought he was a werewolf. Oh. Check out a clip.
also makes me think like we were talking about in the Norway uh, black metal episode how like just the culture of your surroundings can affect you. Like yeah. he's in a castle in Poland. <laughs> He's like, I mean, if yeah. you lived in a castle in Poland and no one knew anything about anything, you might be like, I'm a bat. I'm probably a bat. <laughs> <laughs> That's like literally what happened to Batman. <laughs> he literally is in his mansion. He's like, you know what? Fuck it. I'm, I'm a, a bat. bat. I'm a bat. I'm a, <laughs> I'm a bat. bat. I'm a, I'm I'm a bat. bat that helps people. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a bat that helps people. I'm a, I'm a rich- I don't know what you want from me. And my, uh, and my, my girlfriend, she's a cat. She's a cat. My she, girlfriend's she, a cat. She steals things. She's a woman who steals things. She's a cat. I'm a bat. I'm a I bat. Help people. She's a cat. We fight a penguin. My, uh, my, 